Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mary Patterson about what she looks for when working with an articling student. Mary's a partner at Osler Hoskin Harcourt LLP in Toronto, where she runs a busy commercial litigation practice. Before joining Osler, Mary clerked at the Court of Appeal for Ontario. Mary and her work have been widely recognized both within and outside the legal community. She was also recognized by Osler Associates in 2019 as an Osler Star Advisor for her work mentoring associates. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Mary. Thanks, Shelley. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. I thought we'd start off by taking a look, if we could, if there is any typical day, uh, of what a typical day might look like for a student articling at Osler. I'm glad you included that caveat about if there <laughs> is a typical day, because I'm not sure there is one. Um, at Osler, generally, we allow students to rotate through four different departments, which allows them to build relationships and see what the practice is like in four different areas of law. They could also rotate to New York, which of course would have a very different type of day. They could be seconded to a client, which would be a whole other experience, or they could be in a summer public interest advocacy program where they're out doing pro bono work or other like uh, activities and, and adding good to the world. We have all of our students participate in pro bono as well. So typical day, I would say there isn't one. <laughs> I, I can speak, though, to typical tasks that okay. our students would be um, doing. And um, it, it's interesting because there are two, I'd say, two kinds of tasks. There's the ad hoc, discrete, go find me the answer to this question type of task, which certainly happens. But there's also becoming an integral part of a particular file where you get to, you are certainly the most junior person on the file as a student, but you get to learn the context around the questions you're being asked and to really start thinking like a lawyer, thinking, how am I going to add value? So mm. that's all very vague in general. So shall I put some more detail on that for you? Sure. Because I mean, for me, my articling experience was I'm not at all like that. So I'm fascinated to hear what it's like in the trenches now. <laughs> All right. Well, again, with the caveat that there's no <laughs> typical day, um, I would say that articling students do do a lot of research. So they will be asked specific case specific questions. It's not write a 30 page treatise on the law of negligence. It's in this very specific fact pattern. Can you find me every case that talks about um, this particular aspect of, or can you update this case and tell me what's new, those kinds of things. Right. And, uh, and I can remember when I was a summer student being asked to look up the value of an eyeball uh, <laughs> in the context of a case. And, and I think that that's a standard part of being a student at any firm. Um, it's interesting, though, in those cases, because if you ask a little bit, if you probe a little bit about the context, you can often find ways to add value. So while you're getting the, the interesting uh, exploration of the particular question by reading the cases. You can also suggest other avenues of research or other ways of thinking about the question or offer to help on the next step. So I think research is, is a, a fundamental aspect of what students do. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that certainly hasn't changed. I just remember writing, you know, memo after memo, uh, and, and that's about all. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting you talk about, or you mentioned the word value, and that's something that I I don't often hear articling students talking about. You know, thinking that they really are there to be adding value to the firm, and in that context, what does the firm expect from its articling students? How can students prove their value in the short articling period of eight months in Ontario? Well, I think that the first way an articling student can add value is by consistently demonstrating intellectual curiosity. If you are curious about why am I being asked this question, how does this question fit into the larger case, ideas will start occurring to you. And many of those ideas will have already have occurred to the people you're working with because they've been doing this for longer than the student has. But just the fact that you're demonstrating that that willingness to think beyond the task, you're thinking more than just how what's on my to-do list, but more than more than that, you're thinking about how are we going to provide service to this client? How are we going to achieve that client's objective? So I think that intellectual curiosity, if you allow that to infuse your articling experience, it will just result in you finding ways to add value or demonstrate your desire to do so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. uh, Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the other critical aspect when you're thinking about adding value is to balance your raging intellectual curiosity with, <laughs> with respect. Um, it's very important in a professional environment to show respect for every single person with whom you interact. Yeah, of course, articling students will, will show respect to the senior partners because everyone is afraid of them. <laughs> but it's it's much more important to show respect to the assistants, the, the staff, the associates, opposing counsel, uh, the client. I mean, everyone's coming at things from a different perspective and everyone has a different piece of information for the particular problem you're trying to solve. And so listening respectfully, really trying to set aside um, any, any preconceived notions you have and, and being understanding that you are no longer in the world of academia where it's academic misconduct to borrow someone else's idea, but you are now a part of a team and you have to be open and respectful of all members of that team. That allows you to really foster an environment and participate in an environment that adds value to the client. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so well said. And that idea of just from the get-go being feeling like you're a member of the team. Uh, and I'm wondering, are there other sort of traits? Like clearly, I'm starting to get a picture of a successful articling student. But are there other traits that you have noticed that um, you know you see in those students that are more successful? I've been thinking a lot about this question, wondering if I could encapsulate it in one word. And and I think the word is balance. Um, When you think about professionalism, it is a concerted attention to all aspects of one's work, which means that you have to be um, intelligent in how you're proposing solutions, but not arrogant. Your intelligence has to be balanced with humility. You have to be timely in your responses. Uh, not not late on deliverables, but you also can't rush through it so that you're doing a poor job. 
it's balancing all of these competing tensions that allows you to, to practice becoming a successful student and a successful lawyer. And because it's a balance, because it's a judgment call, um, you're not always going to get it right. No one does. And so learning from those experiences. But I thought, if, if you don't mind, Shelley, I thought I'd take a few minutes to kind of give specific examples of, of how you, of what kinds of traits help Articlin students succeed and, and become successful lawyers. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So let's start with, with the task that you've been asked to do as a student. Of course, you have to do a really good job on that task. But that doesn't mean how you would answer the task or how you would deal with the task. You have to understand uh, what the timeline is for the task, what the budget is for the task. So for example, if I ask a student to spend three hours to find me the leading case on X and they come back with a 40 page memo that they clearly spent hundreds of hours on, (laughs) I'm sure it's a beautiful piece of work but I can't build a client for that. <laughs> so it's not a good job because it's not what I asked for, even if it's a beautifully written memo. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing when you're thinking about the task is some of the tasks we have are very exciting and interesting and some of them are not. That's just, that's just work. My, my mother always says to me when I'm complaining about work, honey, it's called work for a reason. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 you know, you can't, prioritize the fun tasks and leave the ones that are less fun for the end. You have to deliver value on all of the jobs, even the ones where you're rolling your eyes thinking, oh, this is the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and in that context, you have to be reliable. I mean, reliability is, I think, a fundamental aspect of being a successful student and a successful lawyer. So that if people ask you to do something, they have implicit faith that you will do it, you will get it done, you will get it done on time, you will get it done well, and, and that reliability becomes your brand, how you're known. Mm-hmm. Um, other traits of an articling student. You know, I talked about intellectual curiosity, and of course that applies to the law, the policy behind the law, the development of the law, and the development of the, of the deal or the case or the evidence or whatever it is that you're, whatever rotation you're in. But there is an aspect that students often don't think about because as I understand it never comes up in law school, and that is the business of law. Mm-hmm. You know, being curious about how do law firms and lawyers get files? How do you charge files? How do you set up the engagement letter? How do you track conflicts? How do you, um, how do you refer files? I mean, understanding the relationships, the network that underlies our practice It's a lifelong uh, project to understand it, but understanding at the beginning uh, uh, how the business of law works and and at least paying attention to it can help you become a successful lawyer. I mean, just a silly thing, Shelley, Um, (laughs) docketing. If you don't do your dockets, I don't care how beautiful the work product is that you have done. I can't bill for it. And if I can't bill for it, I can't get paid for it. And if I can't get paid for it, I can't pay anyone's salary. <laughs> so nobody likes docketing, but it is a very important part of the business of law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is this something that, um, you know, students are um, sort of when they're onboarding, they're taught about? Or is this just something that is kind of organic and those students who stand out will kind of 
be curious about those types of things and, and take it upon themselves to learn about the business aspect of, um, of the law. That's a difficult question to answer because, of course, that there's so many different kinds of firms out there. I mean, there's large firms and small firms, and you can be articling in a, in a very small shop. You could be working in, in the government, which has a very different approach to docketing. But even there, in in the government setting, it's it's certainly a, or the nonprofit setting. It's not about uh, budgeting, but it is about getting the work done. How does the work flow? I mean, there's always relationships, and in, in the law is a relationship business. And so uh, some places train you, some places don't, some places train you too early when you don't understand it. Some places train you <laughs> when it's too late. Right. Um, but, but just, you know, if you think about professionalism being a concerted attention to all aspects of one's work, mm-hmm. that includes the business side of it. Yeah. Such a good point. Such a good point. Yeah. Excellent. Other things that come to mind when you think about sort of the traits of a successful articling student. Well, I said before that law is a relationship business, and I just want to get it out there right now that that does not mean you have to be an extrovert to be successful. Um, That's just not true. Um, Introverts and extroverts can be equally successful in in law as as lawyers, Um, but you have to understand your strengths and your weaknesses in a relationship business. So I'll just tell you a story. Um, After I came back from my maternity leave, uh, I was really burning the candles at both ends and trying to be everything to all people. And it was really exhausting. Um, I hadn't hadn't made partner yet. I was in the run-up. And so there was a lot going on. And I read this article that said, um, it doesn't matter um, how hard you work at something. If you're not talented at it innately, Somebody else who is talented and works as hard as you will always be better than you at that particular thing. And it was, uh, perhaps it's, it sounds common sense, but in the moment for me, it was a revelation because the consequence of that was I stopped going to parties because I'm not good at them. I'm not, my daughter would wake up at five in the morning. By the time I got to eight o'clock at night, I was done. I was no longer a fun person. I did not want to be there. You know, I was too tired to, you know, have any of the, you know, be standing in a place that was loud and drinking alcohol. It just didn't work for me. It's not (laughs) my place. But I was trying to do it because I was under the mistaken apprehension that I had to, to succeed. And as soon as I realized, you know what, I'm just not good at it. I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm just going to go home, give my kid a hug, have dinner with her, you know, hang out with my family and then go to bed and get up at five again the next day. And, you know, it was, it was a game changer for me because I, I was much better and focused my energies on the things that I was talented at and stopped trying to do something that I was not talented at. And it resulted in me having better relationships with the people I worked with because I had the energy to do it well. Right. And you're probably yourself enjoying the practice so much better because you're doing the things that you like to do and feel comfortable doing. Yeah. I can see how that would be a game changer. Yeah. 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 I don't think I would have made partner if I kept trying to, to be all things to all people. And wow. then once I decided to focus on you know, what I was good at and, and what I enjoyed, it really made all the difference. Now, that's not to say that I never go to parties. I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you're prioritizing how you're going to spend your time, 
it is an it is a prioritization. Time is the limited resource, and so that that is uh, how I use to guide my decisions, and how I think successful articling students use to guide their decisions. Yeah, yeah. And how is that viewed by the firm? Like, I know there's just been so much talk about, you know, sort of the millennials and their sort of attitude to work and their desire to achieve that, uh, that balance or to get as close as possible to that balance, which is something, you know, back in the day, I mean, I articled back in 80, oh my goodness, I don't even know what I was called in 88. So <laughs> it was a long time, a long time ago. And I mean, that was just no one ever talked about that. Uh, and as a result, there were a lot of very unhappy uh, lawyers and a lot of people left the profession and, you know, uh, very sad stories as a result. But, you know, how is that being viewed by the firms now? Is that being embraced, that whole idea of, um, you know, playing to your strengths and, you know, stepping back from those things that, uh, you know, you don't do as well or don't like as much? Well, you have to be smart about it, right? I mean, there are things that nobody likes doing. I refer again to docketing. Nobody <laughs> likes it. But if you step back from docketing, the firm is going to have a really big problem with you. <laughs> Any right. firm will have a really big problem with you. So you have to be smart about it. You have to be strategic in how you make your choices. I don't like using the phrase work-life balance because it, it, it implies that there is some uh, constant or some platonic ideal that we can achieve. And I just don't think that's true. Um, I think that, you know, in some days, uh, your balance between all of the things you have to get done and want to get done and time you want to spend on yourself or with your family is different than on another day. And, and some days you prioritize work over doing the dishes. And some days you think if I don't do the dishes, I'm not going to have breakfast tomorrow, <laughs> like, you know, or if I don't go to yoga, or if I don't go for a run, or if I don't, you know, go to my painting class, or if I don't do something that will make me a nicer person generally, because I enjoy it. Like there's, it, it, it is, I think it is a, I think balance is a mindset, where you are aware of the fact that you have a choice to make, and you make the choice that more or less means that at the end of a long period of time, you're going to be content with that period of time. Hmm. Um, I, I tend to use the 80% rule for myself, where I think, you know, 80% of the time after I had my, my daughter, um, I want to be home for dinner. And what do I need to do to achieve that? Well, I need to get up stupidly early, and get to the office early and, and uh, back when we were still going to the office. Um, and, and get my work done before people show up and start, you know, having meetings and calls and stuff like that. And because I'm not going to be working at night. Um, and that, that, but it was 80% because there will always be days where you are in court late, or you're in a trial, if you're in litigation, or you have a deal closing, if you're in the corporate side, or you, whatever, whatever. And so, you know, you can't, it is a, it is a mindset of how are you going to make those choices? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also having a, a good sense of, you know, who you are, who you want to be, uh, what your priorities are, both at work and, uh, and personally. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, kind of, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the student who is feeling overwhelmed, like they've just been given too much work. Um, you know, any sort of advice to them and how they should deal with that? First of all, I guess, personally, how to cope and, and 
would they go to talk to the lawyers who are responsible for assigning them tasks or what general advice could you provide? The first and most important thing to remember is you are not alone in this profession. There are always people who you can reach out to and speak to, whether they're in your firm or outside your firm. You can call me for heaven's sakes. Like we are all, <laughs> we are all in this boat together. And so don't try to handle these things your own. Don't try and stuff it down and, and, and ignore it. You know, rely on the network of people around you because we have all been there. We will all be there. Um, and, and again, I, I've used the word strategic a couple of times, like be strategic about who you speak to and how you think about it. Don't panic. <laughs> Don't have a knee jerk reaction. You know, just take a breath because there are very few things that you can't think through and find a good way to handle or find a person you can speak to, um, to think it through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- Sorry, go ahead. I, sorry, I keep cutting you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have a lot of material to cover. There's so much good stuff to talk about on this topic. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, when, when you're feeling overwhelmed, oddly enough, sometimes the right answer is to stop working, to go for a walk, to go get a cup of coffee, to take 15 minutes to read a novel or talk to a friend or you know, just just separate yourself from the anxiety of the situation. Mm-hmm. Take a breath. And when you come back, you can, you know, whatever your organizational system is that works for you, but you can make a list, you can figure out what is the thing on the list that is causing you to feel anxious um, and really pinpoint the problem and then start thinking constructively about how to deal with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, and then again, using those resources, um, either within the firm or outside of the firm. And, and that actually gets, um, brings to mind the idea of mentoring, uh, something that I know is very important to you. And is that something that's available to articling students as well? Like, I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't expect you to speak for all firms, but let's just go back to Osler. You know, is there a mentoring program uh, in place for articling students? Absolutely. Um, at Osler, we have uh, different levels of mentors. So you have uh, an associate mentor who's quite junior and who was recently in your shoes. So, you know, you can say to them, you know, when you were doing this last year, did you ever encounter X or Y mm-hmm. um, and have someone who's close? And then you have someone who's a bit more senior who can give you more of the lay of the land, uh, introduce you to people to get work from. Um, And we have that program actually all the way through associates um, and even um, leading up to partnership. We have a a new novel program helping senior women make the transition to partnership because we're, we're, we as a firm and and we as a culture are sick and tired (laughs) of the the stagnation in the statistics that we've had enough. So we're doing what we can to fix it, at least at our shop. Um, So mentoring is is a really important part of our, of our culture for sure. Hmm. Hmm. And do you encourage, um, you know, articling students, associates, um, you know, whoever throughout the uh, the years of practice, to seek out mentors outside of the firm as well, or is it just sort of firm specific? What do you think? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. Like I said, this is a relationship business, so you can never harm yourself by developing relationships inside or outside of a particular firm. Um, But I think when you approach a mentoring relationship, the first question you should ask yourself when you are the mentee is, 
can I add value for this person? So, which sounds kind of backwards, right? Because you think I'm going to the mentor to get their advice. And of course you are. And most people will be very happy to help you. Uh, But if you go to them and say, hey, I saw you do work in class action litigation. And I was wondering if we could do a paper together on this case. You know, suddenly the person you're talking to will have another publication on their list. And Mm -hmm. so you're adding value to them developing a relationship with them and creating the opportunity to ask them questions and get mentorship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's excellent. Yeah. Because I mean, I just, to me, it seems like a natural uh, way to sort of gain the skills and knowledge and wisdom about all the topics that uh, are not taught in law school um, that are so important for the practice, particularly as your career advances. So I love that idea of thinking it gets the, the lawyer or articling student thinking early on again about how can I add value, um, which is something that I don't think is top of mind for, for a lot of um, associates and students at the early stages of their career. Yeah. I'm thinking also about, um, you know, feedback and that's something again, that we don't, tend to like to seek out unless we believe it's going to be positive. But, you know, my sense is that it's so important to, um, to a lawyer's development to get that constructive feedback. And I'm just wondering how that might play out in the articling period. Now, feedback is a very tricky subject because feedback is a skill that managers, good managers develop. Uh, and most lawyers are not good managers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so most lawyers don't have the skill of providing feedback well. I mean, I think every larger firm and probably the smaller ones has a formal feedback mechanism where once a year you have some sort of annual review or whatever, but you don't really learn from those. Mm-hmm. What you learn from is when you've drafted a memo, um, if it's disappeared into the black hole of the person's inbox, you know, trying if they're not too insanely busy trying to schedule a little virtual tea and say, you know, or coffee and say, Hey, I guess when we're back in person an in-person tea or coffee and say, you know, Katia, you know, I gave you this memo. Was it helpful? Was it not? You know, how was it used and try and, and, you know, frame it as I'm trying to become a better lawyer. Um, will you teach me kind of a thing and get the feedback in that way. Mm-hmm. The other way is we all have electronic document document management systems And so you can go onto the system, find the the final version of the document that's been revised, you know, if it's an agreement or a factum or whatever, and and run a black line and see what the changes are. And then go to the associate on the file and say, why was this change made? Can you help me understand it? And and just learn. It's an an indirect kind of feedback. And some of it is a judgment call and some of it is just a mistake that you learn from. Right. Right, right. Yeah. And I love that idea of, you know, taking the initiative um, and being a little bit more proactive. Because again, there's that transition from law school where you're sort of learning passively to being in a work environment um, where you really, you know, can get lost unless you take an active role and, and ask questions and, you know, yeah, take a little bit more responsibility for your education because the articling period still is very much an education, certainly from what I uh, recall. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I I would say that it's called the practice of law because we are all of us learning how to be better at it until the day we retire. We're all just mm -hmm. practicing. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So well said. And what about, you know, that situation that we all hope never will never happen, but it inevitably does when you make a mistake? Like as an articling student, sort of any advice that you could offer when a mistake happens? I say this to all students who ask me the question, just accept it now. You are going to make a mistake. Guess what? You're going to make more than one. (laughs) And guess what else? You don't stop making mistakes when you become an associate or when you're a partner. You continue to make mistakes. Um, And so view it as an inevitable event. Learn from them. Try never to make the same mistake twice because that's a sign that you haven't learned from it. Um, But just... After the initial moment of panic, which we all have, take a breath and do not try to handle it yourself. Yeah. Because almost always, if, if you made the mistake in the first place, it's because you don't have enough time or context or information to fix it. And so you're not the right person to fix it. And you do need to speak to somebody in your firm, on the file. Um, or, you know, talk to a colleague who's not on the file first to get your bearings, to think about solutions, but just don't panic. Take a breath. Think about what the solutions might be. Don't implement any of them (laughs) and go talk to someone senior to you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And own up to it. And, you know, the more you try to hide it, the bigger these things. Yeah. Never hide, never, never hide it. I mean, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. We, we are a team and we are a team that has integrity. We have to be in what we do. We have to hold ourselves to high standards. And so if you've made a mistake, own up to it for sure. But also understand that most of the time, articling students aren't given jobs of high responsibility. And so the mistake that you make is not going to be devastating. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. don't, don't feel like you, you know, launch the nuclear weapons or something because you really haven't. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Put it all in perspective. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, And also that, I mean, there really is, well, I don't know if I want to make this bald of a statement, but I mean, there's usually a solution to most problems that, uh, that come up. So. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then on that topic of mistakes, any sort of common mistakes that you've seen articling students make? So I'm not going to focus on the minutia because I don't know as much about the other departments as I do about litigation, but I'll, I'll talk thematically. Okay. I think, I think the, the two areas where mistakes happen are workload and communication. I've seen articling students take on too much work get overwhelmed and not do a good job because they're super keen and want to do everything. Um, And so you have to be careful of that. But I've also seen articling students say, well, I have a memo due in three weeks. And so I don't think I can take on your little task. And I'm like, well, I'm not coming to you again, because that's terrible (laughs) client service. Like, like you can't take on too little either. Like you really do need to, to, you know, seize the experience with both hands, but, you know, try not to (laughs) seize it with your feet too. Um, (laughs) So, so that's the workload uh, area. And then on the communication area, if you're going to miss a deadline or if you, if you have a fundamental question or if I've forgotten to tell you a piece of information that you need to do the work, just ask, mm-hmm. you know, just be engaged, be, be part of the team. Um, you know, if you think about a football game, 
the quarterback knows where the receiver is going to be. And if the receiver suddenly goes somewhere else, it all falls apart. So we, we, we do need to be communicating about what we're at. But, and the caveat on that is, uh, and it goes back to the comment you made, Shelley, about the transition from passive learning to active participation. Do what you can do without coming to talk to me about it. If, if I ask you to draft something, don't ask me for a precedent. Ask my assistant. You don't need my time for that. Uh, or look on the system to try and find one. Um, if my instructions have been poor, you know, see what you can figure out and then come back and say, you told me to do X. I tried to do X. Here's the problem I ran into. I think the solutions are A or B. What do you think? Yeah. You know, um, and I think those two areas, workload, and again, it's back to the balance concept, you know, taking on too much or taking on too little, communicating too much, communicating too little, <laughs> there's a balance there. And, and, and you're not going to get it right every time because people are different. Um, but, but just, you know, think about, just be thoughtful in, in how you approach all of the situations that you will face and, and you'll learn and it'll work out. And hopefully everyone has a phenomenal articling experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great advice. Great advice. I'm, I'm just thinking too about you know sometimes articling students have different goals. Sometimes they have a goal from the get-go. They just want to be hired back. And others are more kind of, you know, I just want to get the most out of this experience sort of from a learning perspective to help me decide if, you know, I want to work in a large firm, a small firm, what area I want to practice in. Does anything that you've mentioned differ depending on those goals? And is that something that should be articulated out in the open? I'm not really sure what I'm asking, but I just had this thought about how articling students you know, tend to have these different goals. And I'm wondering what effect that has on the experience and like from the perspective of the firm. So I'm going to try and break that down because it's a very interesting question. I think that no matter what your objective is, an articling student, an associate, a partner, whatever stage you're at in the profession, should seize the opportunity and the privilege of being in this profession with both hands. I'm not saying you should work 24 hours a day and never see your family. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think to be a decent lawyer, you have to you know, spend some time of your day not doing law <laughs> to be well-rounded. But I'm saying that, that when you're in a, a job and it gives you opportunities to learn things and see things and try things, take those opportunities, especially if you're thinking of transitioning into a different role. Hmm. Because, you know, if you don't know, if you're not sure that where you are is the place you're meant to be and you pull back, the decision will be made for you and you will be asked to leave. But if you don't pull back, if you really put yourself into it, uh, your resume will improve, you will have more opportunities to build relationships and to find a way, a path that's different from where you are. And so I, I can't, other than, you know, a medical leave or some other kind of leave where you must stop working, and I'm telling you, lawyers are terrible at stopping working when they should. Yeah. Um, and so please take care of your health. But other than that, there's no real reason to back off. Like you really should try and maintain intellectual curiosity in all aspects of your job. I mean, let me put it this way. When I have a meeting with a client to talk about, and just use a litigation concept, discovery obligations, which is a discussion I've had like hundreds of times in my career, I still approach it thinking, how can I do it better? 
What can I try to do differently this time? What's different about this client? There's always something to be learned. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I think no matter what your goals are, you will be better positioned to achieve them if you maintain a concerted attention to all spec, all aspects of your work, because you'll just, you'll just be better at what you do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part of your question was, do you disclose your goal? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I say this about myself. I don't know who I want to be when I grow up. And, and I imagine I'm getting to the age where I probably can't say that anymore, but I still will uh, because it's true. Five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, an opportunity that I have as yet not even imagined may present itself to me. And so, uh, you know, I plan for six months, I plan for a year, um, but I don't, it's not set in stone. And so until you are really committed like you know, and if you really know, like you're a hundred percent sure, then you can disclose it, you know, and say, you know, this is what I'd like to do. If if the goal does not include the firm, then I wouldn't disclose it immediately because, <laughs> because then they're gonna find a way to give all of the good opportunities to somebody who they think will stay. Right. Um, but but generally, I mean, I don't know anybody who is a hundred percent certain what they want to do five years from now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as you say, things really evolve as you get exposed to different practice areas and working with different people, um, doing different tasks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And and think about how fast the world is changing. I mean, we have whole areas of law that didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know my husband was talking the other day. He said something. Did you know there's a whole area of law, animal rights? And, uh, you know, our elder daughter has just gone through law school. She's like, yeah, like, where have you been? (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So interesting. I'm just wondering and thinking about sort of the times we're in now. uh, And, you know, what? Are there any particular challenges that have come up, um, you know, articling during the pandemic. I, I just can't imagine, I mean, in my mind, I sort of see what it, uh, what it might be like, but I, I'm just trying to think in sort of in real time, how does that play out? And is it, um, how is it going for the articling students um, who are working from home? You know, I think that that's a question that, that has many different answers. And I think it depends on what kind of uh, position you have, if you're working with a small shop or a big shop, it depends on the area of law. For example, the tax courts um, had to close for substantial parts of the pandemic because they didn't have the infrastructure to do virtual hearings, which is um, like, please give them more money because they really, they could really benefit (laughs) from it. Um, And other courts, you know, like bail courts, they were doing virtual hearings immediately and kind of in the middle of the night, you know, so it, it really depends, I think, on on the area in which you're practicing. But it's interesting because I had students say to me the other day that they were also in virtual law school, and and virtual law school had had very little engagement. Like there weren't study groups. Some of the lectures weren't even synchronous. They were asynchronous. You'd get a bunch of videos sent to you, and you'd have to watch them on your own time. A lot of alone time. And so when the students joined a firm and suddenly they had, you know, weekly articling coffees or training sessions or whatever, it was a lot more interaction than they'd had. And it was actually refreshing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't really know how to answer your question, Shelley, except to say mm-hmm. that we're all in this very difficult boat. And I think we have to remember that, that we are responsible for our profession as a whole. We have to support each other. We have to be kind to each other. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that nobody is their best self when they're at home with, you know, responsibilities that are intruding upon their, <laughs> their home office you know, everybody, everybody is having these difficulties. And we just have to take a breath and just try to be kind and respectful and and, uh, help each other out. Hmm. Yeah, so well said, because I mean, that's also in practice, that's such a huge part of this profession. So yeah, I love that. Love that. So I'm just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on. I mean, I that's such a broad question. Of course, there are so many things we didn't touch on, as you said, such a broad topic, but anything that comes to mind that you think would be worthwhile passing on to listeners that we haven't uh, had a chance to get to? I think I would say anyone who's joining this profession, welcome. We, we are privileged and so lucky to be able to work in such an intellectually challenging, rewarding profession, no matter what. The, the public studies may say about lawyers. Um, and, and with that, with that privilege does come the responsibility to try and, and maintain the, the highest of standards. Um, but just try not to take yourself too seriously. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to, you know, learn as we go through. Um, and if, if you really um, grab all of the opportunities this profession has to offer, and, and find a path that mostly makes you happy, keeping in mind that it is still called work for a reason. Um, but it'll be a wonderful career to have, and it can lead you in so many directions. So just welcome to the profession, and I hope that, that all of our listeners have an excellent articling experience. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Mary. So positive and it's so delightful to speak with you and to that you sharing all these insights and uh, words of wisdom. It's just so helpful to get those of us who are starting in the profession off to such a great positive start. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas, so if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L dot com.